Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I'm Patrick Ransom. Hey, friends, I have some news. Uh, you know, many of you have uh, known in the past and have been praying for uh, both uh, Kim and I uh, that as we were uh, navigating um, our pastoral search committee process, as we applied at uh, various places, we had found one church who we really loved, and they have loved us. And we walked through the entire uh, search committee process with them, uh, they have called us to be, um, they've called me to be the, the, their next pastor at, this is at First Baptist Church, Cameron. So we're very excited. Cameron is about, uh, half, uh, about ha- uh, halfway between Austin and Waco here in Texas. So uh, we're super excited to, to begin pastoring uh, that flock. Uh, they are a loving group. They are caring. They uh are compassionate, and um, they are excited to have a pastor, and uh, it's a wonderful facility, and uh, I'm just excited to see uh, God has, uh, I can tell you that God has moved around some uh, things both in my life, just both professionally and uh, personally, and has uh, and opened up some doors and closed some doors, both for my wife uh, and myself, that has made it uh, completely apparent that this was the place we're supposed to be. So with that being said, uh, uh, thank you for your continued prayers. Uh, we're in a, we're in a uh, process of transition now, moving from one place to another and getting ready to be launched in Cameron. So we would continue your, or ask for your continued prayers uh, very much so. Today, we're, uh, we're going to look at, at John chapter 19. I love, I love this chapter because it is a pivotal chapter in... Um, in the book of John, you know, as, as I don't know how many of you guys uh, are Ford owners or how many of you are Chevy owners. Uh, when I was, when I was looking up um, this uh, studying for this particular passage, um, I came across an interesting fact. And uh, I always thought that the, the Henry Ford, who was the original, owner of the Ford Motor Company. I thought he was the the inventor of the automobile. Um, but that kind of find out that's just not, it's not true. I don't know if you ever do that or not. If you drive a Ford, so be it. Uh, while he while he didn't invent the automobile, what he did invent, uh, very interestingly, all is the assembly line. And yeah, 1913, Henry Ford and his employees, they successfully began moving um, the assembly line initially just with rope, if you can believe that. They would pull this rope, and but later they would mechanize it in such a way that that the assembly line made it possible that they could build what was the Model T at that time in just under 90 minutes. And enti- the entire car in just 90 minutes, was, which was unheard of. And, and while this uh, assembly line uh, simplified the, the overall process, the workers began leaving the Ford Motor Company, because they found the work, um, uh, frankly, boring. And they complained that they only ever saw just one part uh, day after day after day, right? They never got to see the completed automobile. You ever you ever feel that way? You ever feel like uh, that you don't get to see the, the completed product? Maybe, maybe in your job, uh, you're just one small part of a much bigger process and you never get to see that, right? That there's something, friends, just about, um, I don't know, seeing something come to completion. There's something very fulfilling 
about that, don't you think? There's something fulfilling about seeing something come to completion. Now, um, everything up up in in John John's gospel here, up to chapter 19, right, has just been constantly building uh, chapter after chapter. It's all been leading here to chapter 19, which uh, is at the cross, right? The completed work of Christ at the cross, where we see this victorious shout from Jesus, it is finished. And, and in the Greek, this t- this is tetelestē, right? Tetelestē, it is finished. It has been completed, right? Uh, friends, the message of the cross is the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, right? The greatest thing that has ever happened in history Friends, it has taken place at the cross. In our passage today, here in John chapter 19, uh, God is, is uh, he's about to bring completion uh, to that which was started way back in the garden. Right? Jesus' mission on earth was to give his life as a ransom. Mark uh, chapter 10 tells us that. Uh, so that he could rescue you and me from the power of sin, death, and hell. Right, this was accomplished to give us eternal life, and it all came to completion when Jesus victoriously shouted, "It is finished." If you have your Bibles uh, with you, go ahead and turn with them. Uh, turn with me to chapter uh, nineteen, John chapter nineteen. We're going to begin in verse seventeen. Um, this is interesting. Where, where we pick up here in seventeen, right? This is right on the heels of Pilate. Uh, saying to the Jews, "Shall I crucify your king?" Right. Uh, this is this is as the Jews had brought Jesus before Pilate, uh, you know, making this charge, and and they wanted him crucified. Right. They were they were screaming, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" To which Pilate really had he had no uh, response at that point. He was just asking Jesus some questions. He didn't quite get the answer he wanted, and he's basically coming back to this uh, rowdy group of Jews. Uh, and he's saying, shall I crucify your king? And y'all, to which they answer him, we have no king but Caesar. And, and, and y'all, this, if you could ever have a moment of um, the record, needle screeching on the record, you know, the micro, the microphone drop, this is one of those moments, right? This is God's chosen people saying they have no king but Caesar. Right, and this is the backdrop. Right, they want Jesus crucified, and we're told here in verse seventeen, chapter nineteen, says this. It says, "So they took Jesus away, right, carrying the cross himself. He went to the place called the place of the skull in Hebrew. This is Golgotha. In Latin, this is Calvary." Right, and they and they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus in between. Y'all, this uh, you know the the beauty, if you will, of the Gospel of John is that is that he doesn't go into all the other gory details, right, uh, about Jesus's crucifixion. It literally just says, and you know, and he was crucified. They nailed him to the cross. First, verse eighteen, right. Um, you know, uh, he leaves out all all the other parts about him being uh, whipped uh, with the cat of nine tails, right? Uh, 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 how he was spit on, how he was mocked, how he was jeered, how they placed the crown of thorns on his head. And and, and it says that he's bearing his own cross. Uh, it's not the entire cross it's at this point. History tells us it's just the, 
It's just the cross beam, just the horizontal beam. But y'all, it's it's strapped to his back into his arms as he holds his arms out in a you know in a in a in a T formation. And this beam is is rough hewn. It's you know splintery, and it's wrapped to his back, which he's already been beaten. You know, already has the crown thorns, already whooped, uh, and he's and he's carrying this beam in that fashion. Um, and it says y'all that he was crucified with two other people on either side. Now John's gospel doesn't tell us who these people are, but but y'all these are these are thieves. So we have we have the charge of Jesus being king, but yet there's two thieves. You know the irony here is that you know there's there's two of these guys on either side of him. Jesus in the middle is the king. Uh, you know the one who knew no sin here was crucified under you know among these other two that that are sinful. This is verse 19 with me here. This is a now Pilate posted a sign um, on the cross that read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. To which Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written right the 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 placard if you will this piece of wood that they're talking about uh carried the charge right if you were a murderer it would say murderer there but but the charge here is jesus king of the jews um written in all three languages and normally this this piece of wood was hung around his neck as he's you know as he's paraded down this long path to golgotha right and people are yelling at him they're spitting on him you know, there's shame involved in this. This is it's written in all three languages so that everybody could see what the charge was, right? Everybody was coming to the crucifixion, right? This where the crucifixion was held is Golgotha or Calvary. You know, it's this uh, nobody knows exactly where it's located, but the idea is that this place where the where the the stone area where the uh, it was hewn out or looked like you know, two eyes and, 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 a, and a mouth, kind of like a skull. And this is where they would say the plates of the skull. And they would go and put Jesus in there um, and crucify him among these other two people. And it, and it has this charge on it, uh, which Pilate really was, you know, a trumped up charge, right? But, but Pilate's not really going to do anything. He, he's about the most wishy-washy person there could possibly be. But but he's taunting the Jewish leaders, you know, by, re, by repeatedly designating uh, Jesus as the King of the Jews. To which they said, "We want no part of that." You know, get don't miss this, friends. You know, they're saying uh, we don't want that charge that he's the King of the Jews. We wanted to say he said he's the King of the Jews. To which Pilate is firm, and the irony on that is the one time Pilate is firm on anything is this charge. Um, Verse 23 says, while, you know, while basically while Jesus is dying on the cross, we see that these soldiers who had crucified him are dividing up his clothes among the four. Then they also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's roll dice for it. And this fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice from my clothes. So that is what they did. That was verse 24. So, so understand this, friends. While while Jesus is is crucified, nailed to the cross, dying on the cross, right? We see his garments are being divided up by these soldiers, um, and we're told that that 
they were doing this or what they did actually fulfilled the scriptures, right? Uh, this is super important, right? The crucifixion of Jesus was was carefully predicted in scripture, right? I don't want you to think this, you know, often we read this and we just go right over past the small detail. Oh, they were, you know, their gambling way is closed and we move on to the next thing, right? No, no friends, to the very smallest of detail, God wants you to know he, he had predicted all this, right? And it's all come to, to fulfillment, right? The words of Psalm 22 uh, were fulfilled at the cross here uh, of Jesus. L- friends, listen, if you have your Bible, turn to, to Psalm 22, verse 14. Otherwise, just listen to this. Listen to the, the specificity of, of, of what gets fulfilled, right? The detail of what gets fulfilled. Verse 14, Psalm 22 says this, My life is poured out like water. All my my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like the sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare and gloat at me. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for clothing. Y'all, this is explaining exactly what Jesus is going through, this crucifixion, the piercing of the hands and feet, the dividing of his clothes. Y'all, this was written by David, you know, centuries before before crucifixion was even a thing, right? Nobody had even come up with crucifixion yet in here David is writing about this, and God is fulfilling it to the smallest of detail. Just blows my mind, right? Now, in, now in contrast to the scene of the soldiers gambling away uh, his clothes and could care less about Jesus dying on the cross, here we have a group of women who care about Jesus, right? Verse, verse 25, look at this. It says, standing near the cross where, uh, here were Jesus' mother, and his mother's sister. Also, there was Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So four ladies here. And, and when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he looked to his disciple and said, Here is your mother. And from that moment forward, the disciple took her into his home. Right? It's interesting to me, y'all, that that Mary is, you know, is mentioned here, right? That the uh, understand this that you know, Jesus, knowing that his that his life is at the very end, right? His earthly life is fading, and what's what's most on his mind is the care of his mother, right? That she would be taken care of, and he designates John. The disciple he loves and says, John, this now is your mother. Basically, this, this, you know, you're responsible to take care of her. And mother, by the way, John is going to take care of you. Right? His earthly ministry is coming to a close. You know, interesting uh, enough, friends, the only other time Mary is mentioned here in John's gospel, all the way back at the wedding in Cana. Right? At the time where Jesus told her, my time has not yet come, right? Mary's at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry, and here 
she's she's up she shows up again here at the end of his of his earthly ministry where his time has indeed come verse 28 if you have your bibles make sure you underline 28 it says jesus knew that his mission was now finished your translation may say knowing that all things had already been accomplished right jesus knew that his mission was now finished He's thirsty. He receives the needed liquid so that he can triumphantly say, to tell us day, it is finished. Yeah, verse 28 says this, says, Jesus knew his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he says, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there so that they soaked up a sponge and put it on a hyssop branch. And they held it to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, right? Underline, he he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the, in the margin of my Bible, I wrote voluntary, right? Jesus willingly chose to go to the cross and to die for you and to die for me. You know, a, 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 an old Bible teacher I had at one time, you know, he, he said uh, about Jesus on the cross, he said, do you not think Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God, who has all power, could have taken himself down from the cross at any moment? He could, he could have stopped it, y'all, before he even got to the cross. He could have stopped it in the street when they were spitting on him in Jericho. They could have, you know, he could have stopped it way back in Pilate's palace, right, where they were whipping him. He could have stopped it back when Pilate first started talking to him. But y'all, he willingly went through all of that. He willingly went to the cross to be crucified for you and for me. John, John's gospel makes it clear here, even all the way back chapter 10. We have verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18. They all make it clear that Jesus chose to die, chose to die for you and for me. He chose to die for his sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. Understand that, right? But I lay it down on my own initiative. Your, your verse may say, my, my own accord or my own volition. He, he's setting it down willingly. And he says, I have the authority to lay it down, and I also have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father, right? Jesus chose to die for you and for me. And here, the intended hour of Jesus' glorification, he had finally, you know, came to the, came to the very end, and the king had been crucified, y'all. And he was dying in his final words, as recorded in John's gospel here, were to tell us day. It is finished, right? Let, let it be clearly known, and I want you to underline that. It is finished. Circle it in there because, friends, what it doesn't say is I am finished, right? He did not say I am done or it is all over with me. Right, it's not about Jesus giving up and saying, "I'm I'm so beaten down, I'm so bloody, I can't take any more." 
No, no, this is a, a victorious shout, a victorious shout, a cry of victory. Uh, uh, Jesus is not dying as some ordinary Jewish martyr, right? Right. This is a victorious cry of our substitute. It's a victorious cry of our representative uh, who has accomplished a task. Don't miss this on our behalf that you and I could never accomplish ourselves. Right, the it that Jesus perfectly completed is the personal penalty due you and me because of our individual sin. We deserve to die because we are sinners, yet Jesus paid our penalty for us. It, it's not that he's finished, it's the work that he came to do was finished. Jesus accomplished all he came to do. Jesus accomplished all he came to do, all that the Father sent him to do, and he declared at the end of the day, finished, done, completed. Tetelestai, right? The death of Jesus perfectly finished his redemptive work. That's the word I want to use. His his redemptive work perfectly completed, right? The, The Lamb of God made uh, his great sacrifice for the world. All that you and I must do is believe and rely on it. All right. Leon Morris writes this, Jesus died with a cry of victor on his lips. Right. This is not a moan of defeat, nor a sight of patient resignation. No, it is a triumphant recognition that he has now fully accomplished the work that he has came to do. Right. And John gives us this touching detail that he just that Jesus just bows his head and y'all he gives up his spirit, right? This picture of voluntary submission to the will of the Father. Right? Uh, John even uses the perfect tense here, right? Uh, signifying full completion of Jesus' work. Right? It is finished. It has been completed. It remains completed. There's nothing more that you need to do or I need to do. There is nothing that 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 you and I need to do to get right with God, right? There's nothing we can do other than believe, right? We believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, right? Understand this, friends. Christianity is not about what you must do to get right with God. It's all about what has been done by Jesus for you and for me, right? The, the interesting thing here, the, the word tetelestē, which means it's completed, it's, it's also found on um, when, when people would make a loan back in Jesus' day, mostly Jewish people, Jewish men. When they, when they paid that loan back, they would stamp that promissory note, that loan, tetelestē, which meant paid in full. Right? It's a, it's a farmer's word which describes an animal which was so beautiful that— um, that didn't have any faults or didn't have any defects, right? The fa- the farmer would look upon that animal and he would say "tetelestai," right? It, it it's a it's a carpenter's word describing his um, his un unashamed satisfaction, right? As he rubs his hand across the fine finish of a of a of a piece of perfectly finished furniture, right? He he would do that, y'all, and just go ah, "tetelestai," right? It's an artist's word that describes the final stroke of the master painter, right? As he as he picks up his paintbrush and and he 
he makes the fine the you know the finishing touch to the canvas and he steps back never 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 to paint another stroke and he says Teleste. Right? It, it, it's a priestly word which describes a worshiper who who brought in a perfect sacrifice without any spot uh, any spot or blemish and it was in perfect health. It was the pride of his flock and the priest would look upon that perfect sacrificial lamb and he would say to Teleste. So in in his final moments on the cross, Jesus makes a profound declaration of victory that your redemption and my redemption has has been purchased once and for all with a receipt marked paid in full. It is finished and it stands finished forever. Amen? Right? It never needs to be upgraded. It never needs to be repaired. It will never wear out. It will never be out of date. It will never be insufficient. When he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. It was the perfect sacrifice, y'all, that paid the price for you and for me. So friends, when someone asks you what happened at the cross, it's a vital question that you must be able to answer. You can answer them like this. Uh, Jesus on the cross suffered for you and for me. That's the first thing you tell them, right? That he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. He died for your sin and for my sin because the wages of sin are death. So he died as a representative of you and for me. And in our place, he died. He obtained, therefore, uh, for you and I, eternal redemption having given himself as a ransom for all. You could tell him that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and that he gave himself for us and that he might redeem us from all iniquity. You could tell them he gave himself as a ransom for all. Christ died for all. Him who knew no sin, God made sin for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us on the cross. That, that, my friends, is what happened at the cross, a perfect sacrifice. So what does this mean for you and I today? Um, if, if Jesus indeed paid it all at the cross and, and he was indeed a perfect sacrifice and your redemption and my redemption have been um, purchased uh, with a once and for all transaction it was marked paid in full if, if it stands finished and remains finished forever what why do you and i feel like sometimes we have to do something to be in good standing with god right and it's so easy for you and i to do friends there's there's a lot of people here that feel like they need to do certain things to either be right with God or to remain right with God. It can be something as innocent as uh, attending church and feeling like while it started out with a great motivation, a pure motivation, you then you then begin to think, well, I can't skip church, right? There's no grace in that. I have to attend uh, because by attending, you know, my, everybody sees that, you know, I'm a good Christian. Right? And then it becomes not about God, but about me 
and somehow we've twisted what began was something good. Now it's something that we have to do in order to remain right with God. Do you see what I'm talking about, friends? It's easy to do. It's something I like to call uh, Christ plus something, right? If you want to write something down, if you take notes uh, or even at the top of your Bible, I would write this here on the top of John chapter 19. Write this, we are saved by grace uh, through faith uh, in Christ. This uh, is the, the basis of our salvation, right? We are saved by grace through faith, meaning, meaning we, we, we couldn't do anything ourselves to be saved, right? We are in such a position of needing salvation that it was God's gracious act first that allowed us to then, uh, by faith, respond. Uh, and the object of that faith uh, would be Christ. Here, here's, here's where I want to go with this today. What, you know, if, if, if what Jesus did at the cross was finished, it was finished for you and for me, uh, I think it's important for us to know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and that word alone changes everything about that statement, right? Because it tells us that uh, grace, which is a free gift, right? It, it, it's free because there's no strings attached, right? It's, it's like if I give you a, a new car and you're like, oh my gosh, uh, thank you, Patrick, for this new car. And then I say, yeah, uh, the only the only hitch is that you you have to pay the monthly note, right? So so then it's no longer free, right? It's no longer grace, and it, it's by God's grace um, that that salvation is possible. You and I bring nothing to the table, right? It it does not depend on our efforts or our goodness. It's all His grace in it. As soon as you uh, add something or subtract something from that, it's no longer grace. Um, and what I mean by add or subtract that, you know, it would be, um, you know, adding adding something to it is like saying, here's some strings attached. Uh, subtracting means uh, I'm not going to do something. You know, if you think like, uh, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not going to uh, use foul language or I'm not going to, you know, there's some something that you're you're not going to do so that you're in right standing with God. That's the subtraction, right? Faith, faith here, y'all, is our response is simply to believe. Faith, I use these words uh, interchangeably, faith, believe, trust. It's not works plus faith. Works comes after you've been saved, and it's a response to what God has done, right? There, there's several uh, denominations within Christianity that, that place works first that say you have to do something along with God's grace, uh, along with faith, that works plus faith. Then, then, you know, then you'll you'll be saved. And friends, that's just not the case, right? All throughout the Bible, it's been that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That the response that we have, you know, this helpless need of salvation, and and God makes that possible by His grace, and out of that we. We respond in faith, y'all, and it's this overwhelming um, desire of a, to show appreciation that the works come out of. Man, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you saved me. Now my life has changed. Now I'm now I'm going to start living out these these works. You see, you see, the works come after the salvation, not before or not in tandem with the salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The object of our faith here, y'all, is Christ. 
in his completed work of the cross. It's not Christ plus something. It's not Christ minus something. You know, he completed it. He finished it. Um, repent and put your faith in his completed work. Nothing else will give you eternal life. His sacrifice, y'all, is all sufficient to forgive your sin and to forgive my sin and to clothe us in his righteousness. It's just beautiful. We can rest knowing that it is finished. To tell us day, we can rest knowing that it's God's good grace that saves us. All we have to do is believe. Will you believe today? Will you rest knowing that Christ finished it all at the cross? Amen? To tell us day. And all God's people say, Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your son who um, who took upon himself the wrath, the judgment um, due us, Lord, and that we, uh, we can freely receive by your grace, Lord, that, that truth, and we can live in it, and we can rest in it, knowing that what Jesus did at the cross, his redemptive work is it finished. It's finished, Lord, and we just thank you for that. Uh, Father, I just ask you if there's anybody out there who's listening right now who feels like they are under um, an umbrella of guilt or needing to do something to feel like they deserve uh, God's grace uh, and his salvation, Lord, that you would just lift that works from them, that you would open their eyes today, Father, that they would see that it is um, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that saves them. Father, we just thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for what Jesus did at the cross. We thank you for this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, we will uh, see you next week. I plan on continuing uh, the podcast as, as frequently as, as I have in the past. I apologize for the small delay as we were getting... Um, uh, right through the end of the pastoral search committee. So I just thank you for your continued prayers. Have a wonderful week.